0: rare that we offer unsolicited advice to the good people on Capitol Hill, but today is just one of those days. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. As promised, joining me today, the Chief Investment Officer, Andy Cross. Thanks for being here.
1: Chris, thanks for having me.
0: So we got the quarter percent rate hike on Wednesday afternoon. This kind of went as expected in terms of the rate hike and the language around it. And when you look at the reaction on Wall Street and the investing community today, things seem good. (laughs) I I hate to generalize like that, but just in the moment, this seems like, okay, this went as expected and the market's reacting positively.
1: Well, I, I think if you have the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Chris, and the Secretary of the Treasury testifying or giving comments at the same time on an announcement when they raise interest rates, I think you most people would probably qualify or categorize that as that's pretty unusual. Uh, so that's what we had last. <laughs> that's what we had yesterday, Chris, and the markets did not react nearly as positively today because I think of the 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 dual hit between an increase in interest rates and continued um, tough talk by Chairman Powell about making sure that the markets understand his commitment and the the FOMC's commitment to fighting inflation with higher interest rates. At the same time, you you had secretary Treasury Yellen testifying on the Hill that we don't yet have, or there's no plans yet, to have a blanket coverage for all depositors, so that continued to put pressure on the bank stocks. Today, you have a little bit of a different story, Chris, I think as the markets are coming to terms with, okay, we do have higher interest rates than we had the day before. That was expected, 25 basis points, as you mentioned, was pretty baked into the the markets. And now, just continued thinking that, wow, with tighter Financial conditions that are likely to come from the banking crisis that we're experiencing, that might mean the Fed does not have to be as aggressive raising rates. And so, down the line, uh, interest rates in the marketplace may be a little bit um, not as high as they are today. And that's got the, the markets, the stock market, excited to be investing.
0: And we're not all that interested in politics, and we don't inject ourselves in political things. But uh, on behalf of investors everywhere, I'm just going to say to anyone listening who currently works in the U.S. House of Representatives or the United States Senate, in the future, please don't schedule the Secretary of the Treasury, whoever it may be at that time, to testify at a public hearing the same time the head of the Federal Reserve, whoever that may be at the time, is giving a press conference after... The Fed meeting because the Fed meeting this was on the books, this was this was known months in advance. We knew when this meeting was going to be. So come on, come on, people on Capitol Hill scheduling these things with the Treasury Secretary, do better in the future. Just do better.
1: A little scheduling snafu, I would say. I don't know. How, I, the, obviously, uh, the Chairman and the Secretary have been in, I would imagine, daily conversations over the past three weeks since the Silicon Valley Bank. Um, uh, situation and the uh, the other banks closing down, uh, so I, I can't imagine they didn't know each other was testifying. Uh, but still, a, a little bit of a scheduling challenge. But all all all, um, little bit jokes aside on that. I think what we what we are seeing now, Chris, is this reaction in the marketplace that Chairman Powell had had. Clearly knows about the banking industry and talked a lot about that yesterday in his 45-minute press conference. Uh, came out and said that we we will likely this this situation is going to make financial conditions tighter. Right now, in the data, he said they it doesn't really necessarily show that the financial conditions are tightening so much but he he admitted he said that's back that's backward thinking and some of it hasn't caught up yet so i think he's expecting or at least the market is expecting those conditions are going to tighten and that might mean that the fed is not going to be nearly as aggressive as maybe they they were expecting or intended to do before uh, the banking crisis started and that will mean they don't have to be as aggressive on interest rates of course lower interest rates, and the the, the the market continues to price in cuts later this year, and expectations that the, that the Fed will have to pivot. Um, and that's lower interest rates, that's, that's, that's good for, for, for stocks, especially technology stocks. And, Chris, finally, I'll just note that the Nasdaq 100 is almost up 20%, probably is up 20% now as of today from its lows last fall. Now, it's still down 15% from its highs but it's up 20% from the fall. So, there there's a lot of continued um, enthusiasm to be buying um, some of the larger-cap growth in tech stocks in the marketplace in 2023.
0: You and I were talking about this earlier today. We've been at this a year now. You go back to March of 2022. Uh, we've had, I believe, this is the ninth rate hike. What is your uh, nervousness level, uh, keeping in mind that you and I and every other investor in the United States and and probably around the world, our, our nervousness level is made higher by, as you called it, the Silicon Valley Bank situation, which then extended to First Republic, Credit Suisse, and potentially others.
1: Yeah, and not to make light of that of Silicon Valley Bank, and I've written a lot about this, and we've written a lot about uh, about that and and the and the, in the um, you know still unfolding um, uh, crisis that that kicked off. Uh, I'll say Chris, um, there's you look at the data there, there there's obviously continued worries that the United States, if it's not in a recession now uh, will be in a recession, although I will note that the Atlanta GDP now forecast still has us for for growth over the next year, but concerns about the about the recession for the investing side, when we start to see those recession uh, fears really kick in and we start to see market nervousness, uh, in place uh, you start to see maybe some capitulation that's that's ultimately good for long-term investors like ourselves and sometimes as hard as it is to be investing through those most difficult times that's the best time to be a long-term investor um, I don't think we're quite there yet I still think as you said my my, my nervousness uh, twitching this still is still is still where it was kind of at the beginning of the year just for now different circumstances um, the the banking situation especially just depends on what happens with some of the local regional banks especially because they they provide so much funding uh, for commercial real estate loans banks that have that are less than 250 billion dollars in assets and anything above is a fairly large bank but those less than 250 billion dollars in assets account for 70 to 80 percent of commercial real estate lending in the United States so so that there's still concerns around just the the liquidity and the 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 the, the credit cycle um, going forward. Pa- Post this ban- well in this banking crisis and what's going to come continue to come from it, but from an investing perspective, when I look out three to five years, interest rates at some point the inflation curve starts to starts to improve the 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 uh, the interest rate. Curve starts to flatten a little bit, get back to normal as the as the market comes to terms with where the the Fed wants to be, and the Fed comes to term where the market wants to be. And I think when I look at long term, I still see a, a higher terminal rate than we had in the last five years, and that's going to be that's going to continue to put pressure on on valuations. But the best the best businesses that are going to continue to grow. You can buy and own those at good prices throughout the next six to nine months, and I think long-term investors will end up benefiting from that come 2025, 2026, and beyond.
0: What are you going to be watching over the next month or two? Keeping in mind, we're basically at the end of this most recent earnings season cycle. We're going to have a couple of uh, quiet weeks, at least on the earnings front, before things start picking up again in the second half of April. What are you going to be watching to give you a sense of um, where these stories are going next?
1: Well, I think the thing, Chris, that we'll be doing is, is, we're already starting to see a lot of the annual reports and the 10Ks come through. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of interest and curiosity, and a little bit of fear around ChatGBT and how that is impacting business models. So, I'm excited to, kind of, compare different annual reports from from last year to this year to see which companies are, 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 are talking more about that. Clearly, so much of the conversation is going to be around the banking crisis and liquidity issues and understanding what the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve uh, and the FDIC are doing to protect depositors. Uh, A a blanket protection of all depositors requires an act of Congress, and I I just don't know if they'll be able to do that or do that soon. So, we'll see how the banking industry continues to react to the the changing dynamics of, of especially if interest rates stay elevated and, and bank balance sheets stay a little under pressure relative to um, what those assets, some of their assets were worth, um, you know, a year, year and a half ago, and how that, uh, how the market digests that news. So, those things from the analyst side is really digging into a lot of the annual reports. From the observer side, continue to watch what's happening at the at the Treasury Department in the in the, uh, especially in the small regional banks.
0: Andy Cross, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> Up next, we've got our second semifinal matchup in our investing version of March Madness, and you get to pick who advances to the finals. After this episode, vote for the analyst that you think made the stronger pitch in our Twitter poll. At Motley Fool Money is the handle to look for on Twitter. Today,
2: it's Nick Seipel facing off against Jim Gillies. We have our second semifinal matchup for Stock Market Madness. Nick Seipel and Jim Gillies returning. Nick has a nuclear energy technology stock. Jim, you've got a home brokerage stock or a real estate brokerage company. And the way this is going to work is Nick's going to have two minutes to recap his stock. Jim's going to have five minutes to recap his stock and offer a rebuttal. And then Nick gets to finish it off with a three minute rebuttal. And with that, we will get started. Nick Seipel. You've got two minutes to recap BWXT technology.
3: All right, friends, great to be back here. I am Nick Seipel at. As Ricky mentioned, my company is BWX Technologies. BWX, if you might have heard on the previous episode, is a provider of nuclear components and services to the defense industries, the commercial power industries, and the healthcare industries. In the defense business, they are a monopoly provider and have been for longer than I've been alive um, of uh, nuclear naval propulsion systems for aircraft carriers um, and submarines for the U.S. Navy. There's new opportunities opening up in advanced micro-reactors and also um, exporting of nuclear uh, defense. Technologies to countries like Australia in the commercial side of the business really benefiting from upswings in demand from nuclear power, particularly small modular reactors, where they are partnered with GE G- Hitachi that now has. The leading design on the market is going to be the first one deployed um, in North America also has a, a long-term uh, trajectory towards deployment with the TVA in the U.S. And Then also the healthcare side of the of the business is, is set to really start uh, producing for the company. It's been a drag on capital for the past several years that so they've got their uh, uh, nuclear isotope reactor design up and running. Now that, that is ready to be approved by the FDA and it's going to start producing cash for the business, so you're going to see free cash flow increase fourfold in 2023 from where it ended 2022, from about $50 million last year to $200 million. This year, tailwinds behind all parts of the business, free cash flow about to swing up in a meaningful way, and a long-term plan to return 50% or more of free cash flow to shareholders. That's why I like the stock and why I think BWX Technologies is a a, a company that can do very well in March Madness.
2: Nick Seipel, thank you for the recap. Jim Gillies, you've got REMAX and you've got five minutes to do whatever you want.
4: Okay, yeah, so my company is Remax. They are a franchisor of real estate brokerages and, lesser extent, mortgage loan origination brokerages under the Motto Mortgage uh, brand. Uh, They kind of buck the mold in in terms of the traditional uh, broker agent relationship. And that is uh, most of the time, you know, a traditional broker will take 25, 30, 35 percent of an agent's commission in a real estate transaction. Uh, Remax max uh, gives its franchisees they have what's what I call an agent favorable commission split, where the agent keeps 95 percent of a commission and the broker takes. Uh, just about five percent. Uh, they also are taking monthly uh, monthly fees and annual fees, as well as various uh, various fee-based things that, that franchisors like to take. But uh, uh, what this little secret sauce does is it's a powerful incentive for you know kind of the best of the best agents to gravitate towards a Remax banner uh, because they can bet on themselves. And and for an example of how this works, they publish every year a table in their annual report. Showing uh, the average number of transactions for Rema- Remax agents, uh, it was 16.5 uh, in 2021, uh, and for competitor agents or competitor banners, the average agent does about 7.6 transactions. In the most recent uh, most recent one of these graphs, this variance has been uh, there for years. So we have some very definitive evidence that this uh, special uh, agent-friendly model works. Uh, but, of course, you know, as a franchisor, we're very uh, happy to get the annual dues per agent, the fixed fees per agent, the broker fees, that's the 5%, uh, franchise sales and monthly fees from the Motto offices. Uh, the financial picture uh, is obscured a little bit by the fact that there's a dual-class uh, share structure here, uh, but uh, right now, the macro wins of the real estate industry are such uh, that, uh, you know, after a real gang-ho uh, 2021, uh, 2022 kind of fell into uh, disrepair, a lot of real estate companies are down significantly, Remax is no exception because number of transactions has fallen off significantly. Um, uh, and I think that smells like opportunity to me if you have a lo- the requisite long-term viewpoint here. Uh, you actually have, uh, to start with, you got founding ma- management still here on the board, former CEO is on the board. Uh, It's a husband and wife team uh, who for about seven eight years when in, in, in this public company's history took no salary bonus or other comp they just got paid on dividends on their dual share class structure uh, they own about 41 percent of the total enterprise uh, because the stock or because the company has been uh, both paying a very attractive dividend so about 5.3 percent today as well as buying back uh, their own stock at this uh, very nice low valuation share price is basically the lowest it's been in its public history aside from the brief period at the start of the pandemic. Uh, Valuation—we're trading about seven times uh, this year's expected EBITDA, 14 times this year's uh, or trailing free cash flow—and um, uh, you're getting, you know, we we know that they are uh, buying back a significant amount of shares at this present price, uh, so. You know, basically, it's not a sexy business. I'll, I'll grant you that, but it is. Uh, you know, we are going to see houses bought and sold this year. We see houses bought and sold in every market, regardless of whether it's a hot market or not. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be terribly hot for a while, but uh, that's okay because it gives them a chance to buy in a significant uh, portion of the shares, as well as you get paid 5.3% to. Uh, to wait. Now, um, while, of course, I like my stock better than Nick's, I have to say it's only slightly more than Nick's because what most folks might not realize is that both of these companies are recommendations in the service I lead and the one that uh, Nick contributes to significantly. Both are recommendations in Hidden Gems Canada, uh, so I feel like I truly can't lose here. Uh, But uh, my my concern about BWXT, which I do like, and I have an office actually within about a 20-minute drive of me that way. um, what, I, what I am a little concerned about is uh, a lot of their success is tied to government contracts, government uh, standing up and, and, and doing so. And, and I just have a long history of, of you know, thinking, well, you know, when the government says they're going to do X, Y, or Z, you know, in you know whatever time frame, it generally takes two or three or four times as long, time frame wise. It's always kind of pushing it off, it's a bit of a waiting for Godot thing. That's my major knock on BWXT as an investment because it would change what the valuation is you're paying now because some of the goodness I think is going to come a few years from now. Uh, but frankly, that's pretty light sauce. So uh, you know, other than that, uh, I think this uh, these are two excellent companies for fools to consider.
2: Light sauce from Jim Gillies. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nick Seipel, you've got three minutes to offer whatever sauce you want.
3: <laughs> uh, sure, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll make it a little bit, uh, a little bit spicier. Who knows? As Jim said, both these companies are in hidden gems. Canada, I think both of them have have strong prospects going forward now why should BWxt survive in advance and the Remax folks go home? Um, I think if, if you look uh, in the NCAA tournament you really had need to have multiple ways of to win you need to be able to play have your best player maybe not have the best game and still be able to kind of grind your way through and I think BWX Technologies has a few more ways to win than Remax you mentioned the defense business, the nuclear subs and and uh, as, as well as you know uh, uh services servicing NASA and darPA and some of these other military agencies. We also can win through uh, increased growth in the um, in the commercial side of the business. We also can win by becoming the sole supplier of some really key medical isotopes uh, to North America. As Jim kind of laid out for Remax, what you need for this company to win is transactions to turn up uh, in the in the real estate business. There's going to be a steady state number of transactions in the real estate business. Frictional people moving from job to job or or that sort of thing. But um, given the current state of the market and mortgage rates, I think it's fair to say, and Jim kind of laid this out, that you're going to have some... Remax is going to be beholden to the macro economy uh, for a period of time. Another thing that is, is there are some differences uh, between these two companies. As I laid out, BWX Technologies is a, mon- is a monopolist in many of the areas of the market that, um, that it serves. There's lots of other real estate brokerages out there doing a similar thing to what Remax does. And as Jim mentioned, the, the way that many of these brokerages compete is. Okay, I will charge a little bit less fees than the brokerage across the street. So there's a little bit more competitive intensity there in that market. Both of these companies are going to be subject to the macro economy. In the case of of Remax, it's what's going on in in the transaction in, in kind of real estate transactions um in the market. In the case of, of BWX Technology, it's really what is the 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 uh, the kind of governmental political will behind defense spending or behind nuclear power uh, uh deployments. Um both of them have questions about how much of that kind of demand is going to materialize in the future. But for me, I will take the company that is a monopolist that has had kind of upturns in its industry over the past couple of years, behind a company in a much more competitive industry that is facing more uh, more headwinds.
2: Nick Seipel, thank you. Jim Gillies, thank you. And now you get to decide who made the better case and who's moving on to the finals of Stock Market Madness. We will have a poll up at Motley Fool Money on Twitter. Make sure you vote, and that way you'll have a say. Uh, thank you both, and I'll see one of you next week. Thank you. Thanks so much, Fool on.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. You don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.